Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fan-Sided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison, a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me once again. Man, we're, we're excited about this. I know, that, I know this is just coming across as your everyday run-of-the-mill uh, podcast episode, but it is, of course, not. Um, <laughs> it's here with me to, to talk about why that is the case um, is uh, fellow contributor Akshaz Dividuila. Akshaz, man, how are we doing? You know what? I I think I exercised some personal demons watching <laughs> that second half beat down oh my gosh. of the 49ers. But I will say that second quarter, that was that was like every nightmare of my you fandom know. come back to me, reimagined. <laughs> were, were, was there some some yelling, maybe some some choice words because i know that there were um at my house um <laughs> it was it was an awkward moment because towards the end of the first quarter so i had some friends or and end of the first half i had some friends come over to just watch the game um they're fans of teams who were not fortunate enough to make the playoffs this year um and they had gone out we 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 ordered some dinner and i had to stay home because it was the three of us and my and my son who's a year old and so they were like we'll we'll go get the food <laughs> like okay cool um I'll, I'll stay with the baby which makes sense and so <laughs> the end of the second quarter was just basically me getting going from okay cool we took the lead in spite of the fact that we probably didn't play well enough to deserve to have the lead to, Oh my gosh, what's going on? Like, and then, you know, lots of yelling <laughs> at the end of the second half or at the end of the second, first half there. Um, but it turned out. Okay. Uh, so that that's good news. I don't, I don't know. That's where at that particular moment, but that's where I was. So I, I had a friend over as well for, I think they came by for the second quarter and they had to leave after that. And I was just, <laughs> I was holding it in like as much like willpower I had to not like seem crazy during, but they left and then the third quarter rolls around. And I think on the touchdown pass to Mitchell, I scream like a (laughs) guttural scream. I shocked myself with it too. And then I had a roommate of mine later in the day say, so how'd the game go? (laughs) I heard some noises and I was like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> it was all right, you know. It was, it was fine. It just turned out okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so Niners win forty-one twenty-three. Um, in just a strange, strange, strange game, right? Like, um, the defense looked all disjointed in the first half. The offense, it, it, it I don't know. It looked to me, and and I think even the commentators are talking about it. It looked to me like maybe we were seeing the sort of fall to earth moment for Brock Purdy who came out a little bit, you know, off kilter, a little clearly not himself, you know, first playoff game jitters, certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Um, and it's and, and just, you know, you're just hoping, okay, this can't continue. Like you got to, he'll, he'll figure it out. And he actually figured it out in spite of the fact that, that the first half went so poorly, he figured it out. I think a lot 
earlier than um, it might seem, even though it took the Niners pretty much the whole of the first uh, half and then into the third quarter to take control of the game. Um, it pretty settled down a lot faster than it than the score kind of appears. It was just the defense took forever to kind of sink its teeth into the game, and that was sort of the difference in, in, in the, the larger scheme of it. So, um, And then, of course, they will face the winner of Tampa Bay and Dallas, uh, Tampa Bay-Dallas, which at this particular juncture, we won't speak too soon, but um, that game is happening as we speak. Uh, Dallas is up 18 to nothing. Yeah, 18 to nothing. That's a real football score. Um, apparently their kicker has the yips um, and has yet to complete an extra point um, in spite their scoring three touchdowns. So they're up 18 to nothing on uh, on the fight in Tom Brady's right now. Brady has not looked particularly uh, good during the first half. Um, and so it's looking like it might be Dallas, but, you know, you never want to count out Tom Brady when the when the playoffs come. So um, but uh, Aksha, has any sort of general thoughts about the game before we get into a couple of other things and we'll get into the specifics after that yeah just echo your point about purdy because for the first half i really thought that was the worst he had ever played as a 49er and it was a little concerning to me just some of the easy throws he was missing the lack of like cohesiveness the offense had but he really did figure it out and there's just something so comforting about Brock Purdy as quarterback, which I think is incredible to say, given <laughs> the trajectory of the season. But it feels like the offense is always going to find like a rhythm, always be in a groove some way. Somehow, positive plays will happen. Now, Seattle is not a very good defensive team. But, you know, they definitely took advantage of what they saw. And I think defensively, it was a... It was a weird game, for sure. And I guess my overall sentiment is just that in the playoffs, you really just have to win. And I think the 49ers did just enough. Well, they definitely did just enough. To win. <laughs> so, I mean, who knows against Tampa Bay or Dallas what type of game will be necessary. But it was a good team win. Yeah, I think I, I definitely agree with that for the right across the board. Um, and we'll, we'll get into some of the specifics of that here in a little bit. Uh, before we get into the game in more detail, however, I think it's uh, some notable things that came out of, of this past week. Um, some are related to the game. Some are not. Uh, the first is the inaugural NFL Players Association All-Pro Team, um, which is an interesting wrinkle that the Players Association has added um, to the mix of, of end of year awards that they're going to do. So, I mean, what does this mean before too long? Are we going to get like two MVPs? Cause the players association is going to want to have their own and, and whatnot. I don't, I don't know. Um, so the, the 49ers had four players on that inaugural list. They just did one team. I th- think that's correct. Um, so Kyle Juszczyk, Trent Williams, Nick Bosa and Fred Warner, uh, were voted uh, all pros for the NFL Players Association. Um, not terribly surprising there in any way, shape, or form. Um, so, Akshaz, I wanted to ask you two questions about this. First of all, what are your thoughts on this NFLPA all pro list in general? And then did they miss anyone from the 49ers that you're like, okay, that seems notable? I'll take the second question first. I think... They hit it on the head. I wouldn't... I mean, in theory, the only other player I think you can make the real argument for is Christian McCaffrey. And I think if you give McCaffrey a full, healthy year in the 49ers system, he would be first-team all-pro running back, no matter what or who is voting for it. But Josh Jacobs had a pretty phenomenal year. And beyond that, I mean, the 49ers have a lot of good players everywhere. But if you had to ask me, who on the 49ers could you argue is a top five five player at their position or just a top five player in the NFL overall? And I think Trent Williams, without question, Nick Bosa, without question, Fred Warner, without question, and Kyle Juszczyk has been the best fullback in football for like his entire career, basically. So I definitely agree with the decisions. I don't really know who else I would have tried to squeeze in anywhere. I Beyond McCaffrey, I wouldn't be able to come up with a good argument. 
whether or not this list should exist, I, I'm a little more, I mean, I don't see any like issue with it necessarily. I suppose given how important all pro like seasons become and discussing like tangible career accolades or hall of fame candidacy, I can understand players being a little like more engaged in trying to get some agency over it. I do I think it's particularly is it going to matter a lot? No, not really, because I just I highly doubt teams are going to put in like any contract escalators or the like with the NFLPA's like voting system. So I think it's cool to see who other players think are the best in their position in a way that's like a little better than the NFL's top 100 players of X year, just because those rules are way more like easy to like game. A lot of people would put themselves first and their teammates, yada, yada, yada. But I don't know. I think it's just, it's a nice way to have some more discourse about players in the NFL. But I think so long as there's like a quote unquote more objective standard in the like pro football writers, AP All Pro, oh NFL teams, this will always feel more like kind of like how the NHL has the Hart Trophy, and then there's another trophy. It's really annoying that I said this, and I've somehow completely forgotten what the name of it is. But there's a, basically an MVP trophy that the NHL players specifically vote on. I think it's a little <laughs> I. I'm going to, so those are my thoughts. Okay. I'll swing it over to you, Robert, and I'm going to figure out what the name of this award is. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'm not much help. Not a, not a NHL fan. Um, I've been to, I went to an NHL game, uh, to a Blackhawks game when I was in Chicago a couple of months ago, but that, that is the extent of my, um, <laughs> my uh, NHL uh, time. Now I still get emails from them because of course I went to a game, so they're going to try to get me to come back. I'm like, I live really far away. I can't do that. Uh, anyway, yeah, I'm, I, I think generally it's not, really problematic as long as there's a very clear distinction about this is the nfl player association list versus the sort of quote-unquote real all pro team um i think the the sort of saving grace of it is that it if you look at the the associated press all pro team and the players that got voted there um in terms of of that list it's it's pretty much the same group from the 49ers uh save one or two players um and so i think that's that's uh that that kind of helps it hold up a little bit um uh so that's that's something of of note for sure uh it it would be nice for them to to do a a second team in the same way that the ap does just to kind of match up a little bit with with that but otherwise i don't i don't have a problem with it for sure um speaking of the associated press all pro list uh that list also came out this week um same kind of deal uh Trent Trent Williams uh was a first team all pro at tackle Nick Bosa a uh, first team all pro Fred Warner first team all pro and then um maybe the biggest surprise of the group is uh Talano Hufanga was voted first team all pro at the safety position so we can get into that in a second um uh notable uh that also two 49ers made the second team all pro George Kittle um probably fueled mostly by the second half uh, that he had uh, with uh, Brock Purdy at the helm because um, he was having, an, uh, you know, probably a, by his standards, fairly mediocre season before that uh, with the injuries and everything. But uh, the second half really fueled him. And then the other notable, the other player that made the second team all pro was um, George Odom, who made it as the special teams player. I believe this is the second time he's been voted to an all pro team at that posi- that position. Um, and the only other notable thing, obviously, the thing you notice that Kyle Juszczyk isn't there. They do not have a fullback uh, on the all pro team. It's just running backs. And then they can put, I suppose, theoretically, he could make it as a member of the running back team. But that would be particular dif- particularly difficult for a fullback to supplant one of the many good running backs in the league. Um, and the other thing that was of note is that Dre Greenlaw apparently missed making the team by one vote. He got 49 out of the 50 votes he needed. I'm not sure if that means he would have made the first team or the second team, but um, that seems a little bit of a bummer moment for me. But uh, any other any thoughts on on that group? Any misses on in that particular area? Um, how do you feel about that? 
Oh, so Christian McCaffrey needed to be second team, and I don't think there's a real argument otherwise. Right. So that's one. George Kittle being second team tight end, I'm sure, like, given his second half surge, it's well justified. But mm-hmm. my suspicion is that he would have gotten the position anyhow. Because it seems when it comes to like the AP awards or all pro teams, there's a tendency for some positions that don't have a very clear like outlier player to just fall upon like known like talent. And I think Kittle and Kelsey, unless you have a player like Mark Andrews really step up in one year, it's kind of their positions unless someone steals it from them. Yeah, it seems reasonable. And then I so I loved Talano Hufanga's play this year for the first half. I thought, you know, he ran into a little bit of a learning curve in the second half. Mm-hmm. I don't really know the world where you can say throughout the entire course of the year he was one of the two best safeties in the NFL. He was certainly a very good safety, definitely deserving of a Pro Bowl nod. Second team, I could understand the argument as well. But yeah. I just I mean, like, we if you look at what Hufanga did over the course of the entire year, and you compare it to, to Sean Gibson in a purely, like, here's the raw stats. Because Hufanga mm. got into his position because of the, like, turnovers and big impact plays. Gibson's second half kind of caught him up in terms of interceptions. And then forced fumbles, Hufanga, obviously. I guess my point is Hufanga is a playmaker and absolutely – a talented player who will only get better, but that seems a little off for me. I don't know if I would consider him uh, all pro this year. And then, like you mentioned with Drake Greenlaw, difficult as well, especially because I don't know if Bobby Wagner was an all pro this year. So, you know, I think the AP all pro team generally has a, I think Trent Williams said this for the Pro Bowl, but this is kind of true for anything that gets voted on. You get in a year later than you were supposed to, and you get out a year later (laughs) than you were supposed to. And I think some players for the 49ers, Dre Greenlaw basically, got kind of screwed in that regard. Yeah. And then final, final quick thought, just because I think we talked a little bit about this just throughout the year about how like marginal improvement on special teams was such a big deal. So I think it's absolutely huge that George Odom mm-hmm. is a all pro absolutely just completely changes the game in such small ways that you don't even notice. But if you think back to last week against the Seahawks, Danny Gray's special teams tackle stopping the Seahawks at the 15. It's just little things like that where you don't give a team a spark absolutely that's what that's what the best teams in the nfl do they get their edges everywhere yeah yeah and so even if it's just maybe odom i mean i i'm certain certainly odom was a particular particular standout in the position but he obviously brought out the best in in the rest of that unit i think it's fair to say you know we've seen um obviously orrin burks was also brought in as a as a key contributor in that particular case but demetrius flanagan fouls has been huge there um, Sam Womack was a major contributor as a, as a special teams uh, player on the punt return team. Um, uh, you mentioned Danny Gray, these sorts of things like creating that culture of like, hey, look, this is important too. like we I, maybe you're not a quote unquote starter on offense or defense, but this matters because it can make it make a big difference. Just, you know, just just ask Jordan Willis what difference the special teams can make. Um, and uh, he's still there. Um, consequently, uh, the breaking news: uh, Brett Maher is is broken. Um, <laughs> he's the kicker for the Cowboys. They scored another touchdown. He missed another extra point. He is 0 for 4. Um, good news is it's not mattering because the Buccaneers are apparently terrible right now. And maybe the argument is made that they've been terrible all year. Um, but <laughs> they're losing 24 to nothing and no field goals have been kicked. So there you go. Fun times. Um, <laughs> so maybe that's, that's, uh, bodes well for next week's matchup. Um, small note on the injury, uh, front for the 49ers coming out of the Seahawks, uh, wildcard matchup. 
again, they remain pretty healthy. Juwan Jennings, Samson, Evacom, uh, both day-to-day. I think they have sprained ankles, basically. Um, they both played through the game uh, as far as they needed to. I think Evacom uh, came out you know, towards the end when they basically pulled all the defensive starters. Uh, I think Shanahan said he could have played if the game had been on the line, but at that point, you just kind of let him sit and rest. Um, and then I think Jawan Jennings posted a picture of himself lifting weights this week um, already. So he seems to be okay. Uh, so good place to be uh, health wise. Um, and then, Oh, here's my, <laughs> this, I was laughing at, the, I don't know if you saw this, but the, the pregame leading up to the, the game on Saturday, this, this wild take, if you could believe it, Jay Glazer comes in with the, with the hot, the high fastball, um, to note that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo would not be taking Brock Purdy's job if he came back healthy this season. You know, I've had a couple Great. of people. <laughs> I've had a couple of people who haven't really followed the 49ers been like, "Oh, so Jimmy's taking over, right?" And I'm like, "No, well, of course not." But it's good to hear. Um, I think there's something kind of like really a little sad about this team and this coaching brass basically being in a position where you're so scared of quarterback injuries that getting Garoppolo back to be your backup is a legitimate like Mm. we actually need this to happen that way nothing goes bad that's true that is true (laughs) why did you say that that now I'm scared of it too but I mean it's a yeah, I mean, it seems like a format. There's just so much, and we can get into this as we talk about the game itself specifically, but there's so much cohesion between Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy in a way that's like that hasn't been seen in San Francisco before. And that's a, that's a huge deal because the Shanahan offense is lethal when – the, when the quarterback knows what to look for it. And this isn't like a dig at Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not saying he wasn't like good as a quarterback, but there's an undeniable shift in how the offense operates with Purdy under helm. And part of that has to do with what Shanahan's willing to call. And part of that has to do what with what Purdy's willing to like see and attack. And I mean, the results speak for themselves. I think that's that's all right. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, if if Jimmy's good to go, if we get to the NFC championship game or the Super Bowl and he's good to go and he I, frankly, as you say, I would feel much more comfortable uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo as the backup in case something happened to, to Purdy than I would feel with Josh Johnson. No offense meant to Josh Johnson, who um, has never shown the ability to be a anywhere near a, a anywhere near the echelon of of quality NFL quarterbacks, but yet somehow still continues to get jobs. Um, so good for him. Uh, we should all be so lucky, but uh, yeah, I mean, if it comes down to that, if Garoppolo is ready to go and when it what's Super Bowls in a month, right? Um, roughly a little less than that. So if he's ready to go by then, then by all means, uh, I would be much more comfortable with him as the, as the number two, but frankly, it should not be a surprise that he's not going to get the job back because if they get far enough, and I'm sure like a thousand people have said this already, if they get far enough to the point where he's ready to go and Purdy has already taken him that far, why would you take the starting job away from the guy who's gotten you that, that point? Cause at that point they'd have rattled, you know, what 12, 13 wins in a row. Um, eight of them had come with, with Purdy at the helm, which is pretty impressive. So um, I said pretty impressive. Anyway, um, <laughs> so let's go ahead and take that as an opportunity uh, to move into the specifics of the game uh, with uh, things we like and things we didn't like. So, Agshaz, we'll start with you. Something you, you liked. So I think the thing I love from the game is just the the re not I don't want to say reemergence because that implies that he went away, but basically. Debo Samuel telling the world that I'm back and I'm a problem. Because I think one of the things that made Brock Purdy success during the course of his six-game stint as a starter was that Samuel wasn't playing for the majority of it. But Debo is such a unique weapon in such an aggressive way. And 
when he's on point, this offense hits another gear because he has the ability to run after the catch, to just like attack the intermediate field, to like take a 10 yard play and make it 30, take a two yard play and make it 10. That other players simply just don't. In fact, I think the only other players who come close to it are on the 49ers with McCaffrey and Kittle. But just some statistics for you. Debo Samuel, three rushes for 32 yards, six receptions for 133 yards and a touchdown with a long of 74. And it's just his presence on the field that scares defenses, that opens up holes. And you pair that with Christian McCaffrey, who between the two of them, there's a real question as to who's the better runner and who's the better receiver. And I don't know who you would say is it for either, but it's such a dynamic weapon. And I think there's something to be said about the defense thinking they have all the answers going into a game saying, you know what, no matter what, we're not letting the Niners run with Christian McCaffrey. Like the Seahawks did. They really crowded the line, overcrowded the box. And they were like, you know, we're not going to let CMC get loose. We're going to make sure that they have to earn it. And McCaffrey obviously broke free for a long of 68 yards. But the 49ers were like, okay, you do that. Meanwhile, here's Debo Samuel. See you next year. And if we do, in fact, play, the 49ers do, in fact, play Dallas next week, we might see a reoccurrence of what Debo did against Dallas last year. Because defenses can say they want to hit players. Defenses can be aggressive. But it's one thing to say it. It's another thing when Debo Samuel is running down the field looking to run into you. And there's just a gritty element to the offense he adds. So I was very, very appreciative and excited to see him basically come back and not miss a step. Yeah, yeah, 100% um, right there with you. Uh, that is a, an impressive uh, return to the fold. I mean, he played, obviously, against Arizona uh, at the, in Week 18, but he was just sort of, that was, that was definitely a, a, like, a make sure you're good to go, like, get you back, get some reps for you, nothing, you know, nothing too crazy, but also make sure that you're ready to go and not hurt um, kind of game. And so this was sort of his real return to the fold. Um, and so, you know, he's he's a key player. And also, I think it's pretty safe to say that the the sort of that moment where <laughs> where his leg got yanked um, after a play and the official was just like, oh, that seems fine to me. You just keep doing that. Uh, that was sort of like the spark moment to where the, the team was like, okay, all right, if that's how we're going to do this, then we're just going to kick the junk out of you for the rest of the game. Um, they they took that very personally, as as Kyle Shanahan noted um, <laughs> in his press conference after after the game. You know, the team was like, hey, we're like if that's the way they're going to play, then we're just going to just knock them knock them out. And I think that was the the turning point um, there. So. Uh, not surprising at all. And I, I I don't know if you you saw what Debo said about it afterwards. He was like, I was fine. I I was just going to basically, he was just like, if I got up, I was going to take out the entire team. <laughs> so he was like, I was just taking a moment to to collect my thoughts and, and <laughs> control my temper because otherwise I was going to get real mad. And Shanahan was just worried that he was hurt, which also I was as well. Um, but I thought that was pretty funny. I agree. I mean, I, I, that moment was so infuriating because whether, so this is like conjecture, very biased 49ers fans speak here, but there's always been this like sense, especially when the 49ers of the 2010s would play the Legion of Boom. Games got shippy and probably over the line a little bit. And seeing kind of that re unfold. Was, it was like, come on, right? Like, what's happening here? So I was really, I was very excited that the team kind of took up the challenge off of that. I thought Debo had a great quote about it. He said it was like the definition of their team, I got your back. And seeing the team come together, I think, is a testament to the culture Kyle Shanahan has built in this locker room. And I mean, not to like 
make a comparison to demean or like point anyone else in a negative light, but you can compare that to what happened with the Colts and the Giants when Nick Foles got sacked and Kevon Thibodeau's doing snow angels right next to Foles, who's almost convulsing on the ground, and none of the Colts are doing anything. I mean, not not saying that the Colts have, like, no locker room culture or anything. I'm just saying I don't think the 49ers would let things like that slide. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's certainly right. Um, so I'm going to go, I mean, there's a lot of different directions that we could go with this, um, in terms of like my, the thing that I liked, um, it, you know, the, the defense didn't have like their greatest game, but, um, I think it is, it's, it's awesome to see that the, 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 the rush defense continues to be like a real problem. Um, you know, they made a big deal in the pregame about, you know, Kenneth Walker, he's a rookie and he's, he's having a great year. And they kept saying about how he, you know, when they beat them in week two, that he wasn't really featuring in the, in the offense yet. And then he was hurt when they won the game on Thursday night, you know, later in the season. And that like, he was going to be a key cog in the game and he ends up carrying the ball 15 times for 63 yards with a long of nine. Um, obviously had that nice touchdown early in the game and all that, but, um, I, I read a stat the other day and I was trying to find it while you were talking. I don't remember exactly what the number was, but there was like 250 something. I don't know if you saw this 250 something rushers throughout the NFL, uh, that rushed for 70 or more yards in a game, uh, throughout this whole season. Uh, and actually do you know how many of those came against the San Francisco 49ers this year? Zero. Exactly. <laughs> Which is just like wildly impressive, right? <laughs> like 70 is actually a fairly low threshold, right? Uh, relatively speaking, like if you had a 70 yard game, like depending on how many times you carry the ball, you know, it might be OK. But generally speaking, because if you carry the ball with any great frequency, 70 is not like a super high number, right? Um but the fact that they didn't have anybody rush over over 70 yards on them all year long, and they faced the number one running back in the NFL uh, and Josh Jacobs a couple of weeks ago, and he had, I think he was the closest. Uh, I think he got to like 65 or something like that. Um, that's that's just incredible to me. And and the the fact that you know, I, and and it's pretty clear that the the game plan once it once it became obvious that the weather was not going to be as much of a factor in this game, that the the Seahawks certainly kind of relied on the passing game more than the, than the, the 49ers defense expected them to. Uh, it seemed like um, there was definitely a, a, a clear uh, sort of like, oh, okay, they're throwing the ball kind of look to the early part of the game. Um, but the fact that they're able to, to snuff that out, and uh, I think to a certain extent you have to take into account that Yes, they they towards once the the middle of the third quarter happened, they had to sort of give up on the on the run altogether. But uh, the fact that they only that they ran the ball, let's see, 25 times uh, for 104 total yards, um, 28 of those were uh, scrambles from Geno Smith, who had one uh, 11 yard carry. Um, it, it's it's pretty impressive. And as they continue to move through uh, the the playoffs hopefully obviously it looks like dallas is going to be the opponent next week they obviously have some present some challenges uh in the running game uh for the 49ers that will be interesting to to look at um if it's the eagles the week after that or even if it's if it's the the giants they present some some interesting problems from the from a running game perspective so that that running defense and their ability to control the game in that way is going to be really important and it just continued to be impressive uh, on Saturday against Seattle. I agree. I mean, so Seattle's rushing stats, 104 yards on 25 carries. And with 28 of those coming from Geno Smith's scrambles and design runs. And I think you can make the case that this was probably one of the worst rushing defensive approaches the 49ers had all year. And they still held... Seattle to 4.1 yards per carry, which is pretty, pretty good, all things considered. Kenneth Walker only 63 yards. I mean, it was – it's really – it's especially important when you think about 
just in the NFC and hypothetically playing against the Eagles or the Giants, two teams that are going to run the ball and are going to try to attack the 49ers defense. It's a real strength, and it's only getting better as Kinlaw gets more and more accustomed to being back in the lineup. So I totally agree. It was it was a bright spot for the defense, for sure. All right, so we'll use that to uh, transition into the down, the thing that we didn't like. Um, we'll start with you, sir. So, I mean, it's hard. So criticizing is kind of difficult because it's a divisional game plus the playoffs plus a lot of expectations given the kind of run the 49ers had been on. But DK Metcalf, 10 receptions, 136 yards, two touchdowns. That's not great, obviously. And it's especially not great because Traverius Ward had a pretty rough day. And again, looking ahead to the Eagles, or then you get into the Super Bowl potentially, and you're going against Kansas City or Cincinnati, you have elite, elite players and offenses that will attack you deep. And, you know, Metcalf is a physical specimen, and it's not it's not the end of the world that Ward had a rough game. Sometimes it happens, but the Eagles love to take cover one, cover three shots against single isolated corners. And if you have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith running deep the entire game, a pretty good accurate passer in Jalen Hurts, it could cause some problems. I don't think it'll be a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. I think the 49ers generally have been very, very good about kind of having these defensive aberrations where one player gets loose be an aberration. But in a game of mostly positives everywhere, it was kind of annoying to see Seattle get a lot of success throwing the ball down the field. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely an annoying. But just just because of his, I don't know, the persona of DK Metcalf too. He just, I don't know, he just kind of rubs me the wrong way in a lot of ways. But that's just that's my problem. Um, certainly problematic. Uh, in this particular case, of course, you you get away with it because if you look, Metcalf had ten for one thirty six and two touchdowns, including that fifty yard uh, touchdown early in the game. But then if you look on down the rest of the line, um, Cade Johnson, three catches, 39 yards. Tyler Lockett, six for 39. Colby Parkinson, three for 14. Uh, Derek Young, is that how you say that? One for 11. And then Noah Fant, who was their, the big piece of that Russell Wilson trade other than the draft picks, as it turns out, because, uh, you know, Drew Locke is sitting on the bench. Um, also one catch for 11 yards. So, um in this particular case, they're able to get away with it because it was just sort of it was it's that situation, you know, when you like in basketball where they talk about, you know, that guy's going to get his points. The job of, of the defense is to let is to figure out how to make sure that nobody else does, too. Um, and so in that case, you're you just like, OK, it's annoying. You don't like to see it. <clears throat> you know, you hope that that's not indicative of some problem later on but you you live with it especially because of the way that the the game ends up but um by and large i do agree with that and and my my the thing i didn't like was certainly on that same level it's just that the defense just it seemed like it just took them a little while a little too long to get into the game um and i don't know if that was a a familiarity thing like oh we think we know what seattle's gonna do and then they did something different or as I alluded to earlier, the the weather was supposed to be really bad and it didn't end up being a problem at all. Um, so you got to wonder if they were geared up for something a little bit different, like, oh, they're going to try to run the ball to control uh, control the clock or something like that. I, I, I don't know. But obviously giving up 17 points in the first half um, was not great, but they only gave up one more touchdown throughout their whole the rest of the whole game um, and and really only only six more points. So it wasn't really a problem. Um, and then of course the offense picked it up, uh, in the second half, uh, scoring seven points in the third quarter and then 18, 18 in the fourth, just, to, just for fun. Right. Um, so in that case, it's, it didn't turn out to be a problem, but again, giving up that 17 points in the second quarter to a team that you had controlled from an offensive perspective or from a defensive perspective in the other two matchups, 
is a little bit concerning. Now, the familiarity will not be there for the most part throughout the rest of, of the playoffs as you move on. When they play Dallas next week, they haven't seen Dallas. and They saw them last year, obviously, in the playoffs, but they didn't play them this year so that you don't have that familiarity thing. Um, if it's the Eagles or the Giants, similar kind of thing. Um, and then there's nobody on the AFC side, really. Um, no, none of the AFC teams that are left, uh, aside from the Chiefs or teams that they played this year. Um, so uh, maybe that will help a little bit. I think maybe there there's a sense that you, that you know them a little too much, and so you think you know what they're going to do. And that I, I think that could play into it a little bit um, from that perspective. I agree. And just in terms of some of the defensive issues, especially in that second quarter, obviously it doesn't matter now because the 49ers won handedly. But Jimmy Ward, and I love Jimmy Ward. I think he's been underrated and increasingly integral to the 49ers defense since he's been here made one of the dumbest plays of the season for San Francisco when he dove into Gene. It's, it's those things throughout the season, there was discussion of the 49ers defenses being at the level of the Legion of Boom, the 85 Bears, the 2000 Ravens. And I don't think they're at that level. And this is not like to say that the 49ers defense isn't very good, but more often than those defenses have, they're just these moments of like mortality or just like poor decision-making. Dre Greenlaw's angle on Kenneth Walker's rushing touchdown, for example, Jimmy Ward's tackle attempt on Geno Smith. It's just things that happen that you just don't think a defense as good as the 49ers should do. Now, football is a 60-minute game, and one thing the 49ers have shown, with the exception of the Kansas City game and the Raiders game, and most of the Kansas City game, is that they'll be able to put in an effort at some point in those 60 minutes to like, make a play when they need to. But you know, it's it's interesting because, like you said, divisional game, kind of weird, not going to really be the case. In fact, I'm fairly confident assuming the Cowboys hold out in whatever they're doing. The only other team the 49ers could play that they've played before is Kansas City. It'll just be, it'll be interesting because I think, and this is also positive in some sense, the defense is becoming more of a problem spot, not because of that, because Brock Purdy has been so good and consistent on offense. We've almost we've reached the stage where it feels like easy for the 49ers offense. So the question now becomes, how is the defense going to play? Because the offense will get you points. And that's incredible to say from week one to now, but I think that's where we are. That's, that's that's interesting, and I think, um, and we could talk about this as a, not to like as a jinxing kind of thing, but if you think back to the, the 2019 team a little bit, is some of what happened there was, the defense fell off just a little bit as the playoffs were going on. And I think this happened in 2012 too, when they went to the the Super Bowl and and play the Ravens. Like that defense was really good as well, and but they their playoffs were struggle. Like they struggled throughout the playoffs, especially once they got to the Super Bowl, they gave up a lot of points to that Ravens team. That was, you know, like it had a, a pretty good playoff run, but it threw, but up to that point had not really been like an offensive juggernaut by any stretch of the imagination. And so maybe the defense is not going to be able to be like world beaters, but they need, if they can be good enough, um, to the offense seems to be able to hold up their end of the deal. And we talked about this, we've talked about this all year, right? Um, that question of, you know, the question was the defense seems like it's going to be good enough to keep them in pretty much any game. Is the offense going to be able to hold up its end of the deal? And recently it's kind of flipped a little bit, but the defense has also 
dug its heels in and, you know, they've had moments like the first half of this game where they've struggled, but then they give up six points in the last in the six points that they gave up were literally in the last two minutes of this game uh, that were, you know, it was a garbage time touchdown at the end of the game that didn't matter. Um, you can live with that. Uh, and so if this is the, this is the trajectory, like they can, they can continue down this line and probably beat a lot of teams. Um, even if the defense is not like elite, elite, elite. Um, so I think that is something to pay attention to, um, score update, by the way, the, the, the Tampa Bay scored uh, a touchdown, but this is, this might be the first game in NFL history where no team has completed an extra point. Uh, they scored a touchdown and went for two and missed it. So it's 24 to six uh, with zero extra points and zero uh, field goals. So funny, funny, funny thing. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. It's it's going to be interesting. I, I think the the 20, the 2012 parallel is interesting to me. I It almost feels like in a way like 2019 where the defense kind of led up as the season was ending, but had flipped a switch in the playoffs. Now, that switch is relative. The Vikings were not very good that year, and the Packers were the Packers. So I think, I don't know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a really interesting kind of progression for the 49ers, assuming they continue to win these games. If you just think about how it will happen, because that 2019 Super Bowl – for 50 minutes, they were basically there. They had Kansas City locked down. And then they let up a little, and the offense couldn't, like, carry its weight. And I think, not to project too far ahead, but just in general, a theme for the 49ers defense, or just the 49ers of their Kyle Shanahan, as they've, like, from 2019 on, under Jimmy Garoppolo, I suppose, has been the defense must play very well. And when that happens, the offense does enough. But with a few exceptions withstanding, in big games, the defense will let up for a moment. It might not be a huge moment. It might not be for many, many plays, but it'll happen. Last year in the NFC Championship game, you could point to Joukowsky Tart dropping the interception as an example, and then the Rams scoring the touchdown drive. And when that happened, the offense wasn't able to step up. So I don't know if that's the case anymore. We haven't really seen a situation in the playoffs to find out if that's the case or not. So who knows? It'll be a, it'll be a fascinating kind of story to see as it unfolds. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, I, I think um, so far uh, the Niners under Brock Purdy have been pretty consistent. Um, you know, they've been scoring in the 30s. They got up into the 40s uh, this game. I think if they had if they had not come out real flat, they probably would have scored 50 on this team like pretty easily. Um, but they had a little bit of a slow start. They couldn't convert. I mean, they kicked three field goals in the first half. Um, so yeah, they'd have scored 50 plus, uh, if, if they had had any, any gumption about them early in the game, but you know, they they took them a while. Uh, obviously as the playoffs go on, they're going to have to not do that so much, like, because, um, both, both offensive and defensive units are going to have to come out a little bit sharper, uh, against teams. Cause as they get further along, theoretically, the teams are going to be better that they're going to face off against. So it's just going to be something to watch out for and, uh, then, of course, the question will be, can uh, Purdy continue to lead this team uh, to be even better than than you would have expected them to be uh, coming into the season? And so that will be a, a, a long and interesting conversation. And uh, we'll see how that goes uh, throughout the rest of this time. Um, so, Akshay, any final thoughts as we wrap up this one um, for uh, the, the wild card weekend? I'll just say, well, I'll say a quick thing about whatever's happening in the final wild card game, which is that no matter what, it's going to be an absolutely wondrous feeling next Sunday to either send Tom Brady home 
or, or to shut up the Cowboys. <laughs> but beyond that, I'll, I'm just going to continue to say what I've been saying at the end of these episodes for everyone listening, but also for myself, just to keep things in perspective as to how ridiculous it is to see what's happening with the 49ers this year and how, like, you know, sometimes when you're in the moment, it's hard to appreciate just what's going on and the magnitude and scope of it all. So I'll just say, enjoy the ride because right now it's going, 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 and who knows when it'll stop, but this is something to keep in your memory because this has been a special season so far. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, on that as well. Well said, sir. Um, by the way, it's, it's not looking pretty unlikely that it's going to be the Buccaneers at this point, but um, it can happen. But the Cowboys are driving already up by three scores or four scores or whatever, but they can't kick. So there's, there's that whole thing. Um, breaking news when he makes a field goal or an extra point, I guess. All right. So um, thank you, uh, as always, for listening to this episode of the Niner Noise podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Uh, please continue to check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. Lots of good things coming up from our uh, friends and uh, fellow contributors on the site as we work through the playoffs and we talk about all the things that are going on and also, you know, other things that might be related to to 49ers stuff that's coming in the future, like the offseason and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and, of course, be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Uh, and please share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.